0: We get to this uh, archway and an old man is sitting there and he's just staring at the ground. So we sort of say hi and everything. Um, we show him the photograph and he looks at the photograph and he goes, yeah, I think I, I know the guy in the back. And I mean, if, if you look at the guy in the back, I mean, you can't even make him out really. And I'm going like, mm. he's like 80 years old, no glasses, come on. Like, <laughs> I'm guarded. I'm really guarded at this point, but he gets into our vehicle. Well, we drive up to a house and we get there again. Very, this is just commonplace. People come out of the house. Now he's got the picture, this old man, and he gives it to this, the people there and this lady there. And what's interesting is, you know, if you look at this picture here, this, this woman right here. So one of the people in the house looked at the picture and said, wait, that's me in the picture. Who are you? Okay. Like, wait, <laughs> Did I hear you right? Like, that's you in the picture? She goes, yeah, that's me in the picture. But who are you? So I explained who I was, and oh my gosh, she just suddenly said, you're home.
1: The Tom Screen Podcast is owned and made possible by Ethical Marketing Service. If your business is struggling with Google or Facebook ads, maybe you're frustrated figuring it out or there's a performance issue, Ethical Marketing Service has worked on hundreds of accounts and we can help in this area. We offer a 30-day money-back guarantee and for every direct account we look after, we sponsor a child in a developing nation with food, water and education. If you would like to find out if we can help, it's a free... No salesy, consultation call, and the link is in the description. Enjoy the episode. Thomas Green here with Ethical Marketing Service. On the episode today, we have Sam Thiara. Sam, welcome.
0: Uh, Thank you. Um, I appreciate being on the show and uh, being able to share some insights.
1: I am very happy to have you. Would you like to take a moment and tell the audience a bit about yourself and what you do?
0: I would love to. And you know, I always take a unique pathway, um, and that's part of the whole idea of my background. Is I support and help people to discover who they are, not what they do. And the way that I can best do that is to say, apply it to myself. Here's how I introduce myself. I'm an individual who is guided by five core elements, and the five things are servant leadership story sharing, activator, igniter, champion, enabler and community do-gooder. Those five things have enabled me to help individuals, teams, organizations, educational institutions and nonprofits to their pinnacle best. But it's also enabled me to become a speaker and a storyteller, a mentor and a coach, a writer and blogger, a problem solver, educator, entrepreneur and community activator. That is how I can best describe myself in it's a very organic and unique way, because it's really about understanding who I am and what, what resonates with me, and then really putting my efforts into that.
1: Well, thank you for the introduction. There's, a, there's an awful lot to ask you about there. Sure. Um, the, I have asked the question, who are you? Um, Mm -hmm. before as Mm kind of like a, I wonder what this person's going to say. Have you, have you got an answer, which you think, um, you know, that's the best one I've ever heard?
0: I mean, for myself or for other people?
1: Can be either.
0: (laughs) Oftentimes when I ask individuals and that's whether I'm teaching at university or uh, mentoring and coaching, it's always interesting because people always describe themselves by what they do. And You know, I'll I'll obviously never interrupt them and stop them. I'll listen to them, and they say, "But that's that's great." But you know, tell me, who are you? And in the sense of, you know, uh, defining yourself outside of the realm of of what you do, Uh, and then they they do struggle with that. And and for me, I think the clarity emerged when I was in a I was in a corporate job where, you know, I could do the job, but it just never felt like it fit. It felt like an ill-fitting suit. My career was an ill-fitting suit. I could do it, but it just didn't fit. The moment that I started focusing on, okay, if this doesn't feel right, and the corporate job, okay, what what is it then? And uh, then I started focusing on who I am and what resonated. And uh, my five things that, that I said in the beginning have changed over time. It actually made a lot of sense for me. And that's when that clarity started to emerge to say, no, this doesn't fit. Okay, but then what does fit? And then I started exploring options based on having that as my anchor, those five key elements. And then as soon as I landed that position, because I started putting my efforts towards that because it aligned to the five things that were important to me, uh, that's when clarity emerged, and when I landed in that position, it didn't feel like a job any longer it It was fulfillment to say this really resonates and i'm I'm really enjoying myself in that position. So going back to what you were just asking is the fact that you know oftentimes people will define themselves by what they do. I like to help them define themselves by who they are, which relates to what they do. but let's put the other part first.
1: So if someone wanted to use your way mm-hmm. of answering that question mm-hmm. um presumably they'd come up with their own five would you say that's yes. about absolutely
0: right? absolutely it's it's about being a tailor and tailoring it to them and it's all about uh reflection and introspection because what I do is uh and uh, I often say what if you know whether me or anybody that you you know would find a coach is a great person to help you with this is ask a lot of questions. So oftentimes what I would do is ask, tell me about, you know, your your job, your current job or previous jobs, but tell me what you liked about it or like about it or don't like or liked about it. And they start explaining it. And then I keep saying, okay, tell me why, and getting them to start thinking deeper. What about when you were in school? What what courses resonated and you liked? And which ones did you not like? And, and the key thing to ask is why? And what do you like to do in your spare time, your social life? And then ask why. And you keep asking those questions of why. And, for example, I mean, I get this quite often. I, you know, ask people to tell me, give me one thing that you are uh, – not willing to compromise in life and career, not career, but life and career. And um, oftentimes people would say, family, family is really important to me. And I said, okay, why? And they start explaining it and I'm listening to words and I'll keep asking different whys. And oftentimes I hear the words connections and relationships. And then, you know, then later on I'll be like, you use the words relationships and connectedness. And this is where it's really great to be listening to what they say. And they said, yeah, no. And they said, okay, but does that apply to your work environment as well? And they're like, oh, for sure. Did it apply when you were in school? Oh, absolutely. What about in your social life? Oh, have to have it. I said, can we replace family with relationships and connectedness? They're like, oh. And I said, that'll become, you know, one of your five core elements. And then we go through this. There is fear that people have because they're like, well, oh man, you're making me pick five things. What if they're not the right words? Like, no, no, let's pick these and then change them anytime in your life as you know you encounter new experiences and things, uh, which I've changed mine as well. So, you know, it's not something you're stuck with for the rest of life. But but think of it this way: what I've done is help them to provide a base to now compare their life to. And then they can see, does it hit five out of five or two out of five? If it hits two out of five, what's missing? Can you incorporate that now? Go to your employer and say, you know, the uh, lifelong learner bit is really important to me. I feel like in this job, maybe it's not so prevalent. And then hopefully the employer would be like, okay, how? I've, and finally, I always like to say, have fun with this as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, I shared the f- five core elements of mine. And the last one was community do-gooder. According to Microsoft Office, the word does not exist. I'm doing it, so it must exist. A friend of mine, I was, uh, uh, she's in Los Angeles and I'm in Vancouver, uh, we... Uh, we were going through this exercise and she was telling me all about uh, her things that are important. And one of the things was the environment. And she said, uh, you know, the things that I work in and the things I do has to protect the environment and all that. And I remember her kept asking why. And at the end, I was just like, you know, you're an environmental ninja. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I love that. Can I use that as one of my five? Cause I'd like to introduce myself as an environmental ninja. So that's the process I try to go through to massage it and to help. And, um, Really, it's, it's an opportunity for people to realize and, and appreciate the significance of the things that they've done, which sometimes we overlook.
1: Thank you for going into that. I have been, like I said, I have been asking that question and I feel like, um, I don't know, having this conversation with you is really good timing because uh, it mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know, it, it seems like you're, you're an expert on this particular question, which I love. So, um, but is this next one is a big question, and that is you've, sure. you've got your five. Um, mm-hmm. Did you call them values?
0: I call them. Well, I call it the five core elements, and uh, the
1: elements, uh, right? Yeah, that's um, what I call would you it mind. Myself. Would you mind going into each element and what it mm-hmm. means to you?
0: Oh, sure. So, servant leadership is the first one, and this is where it was all about this experimentation and playing with it because the first time it was leadership, because you know. There were things that I would be doing that uh, I would take on and uh, just jump in and uh, start working on. But I found leadership was way too broad of a of a scope and a title. Then I started ex- thinking about it. And servant leadership is really the essence of what I do, where I roll up the sleeve. I don't care who gets the credit. Um, I'm there to support and guide when you need me, or I can step back and, and just do what I need to do and uh, servant leadership is all about the the non i've worked with about 50 nonprofits to date to help them revision and think and, and servant leadership just sort of it, it was one of those epiphanies i had to say leadership too broad servant leadership just makes more sense so that's part of the the first one the second one was um story sharing and that's what i am as a story teller when I'm teaching my classes and it's a unilateral approach of me telling my stories or uh, applying it to the theories and concepts but story sharing again became um, more important to me because story sharing is I also want to listen and hear your stories it's not about storytelling it's about sharing we sit in a con- uh, over tea and have a conversation and we just keep uh building on stories together and story sharing is all about this element that people have these tremendous stories that you know they sometimes feel insignificant about but i want to listen to them and uh you know build and share stories with them so story sharing became that the third one is um champion and enabler And that changed actually from uh, corporate communications or corporate community relations because that's what I used to do and still do, but it wasn't so prevalent anymore. But Champion Enabler is the fact that there's a lot of noise out there of people telling you what to do. I've had about 5,000 conversations to date. I do about three to eight uh, conversations per week to help people realize what is it that they want And instead of telling them, I'm a champion and enabler, which basically means I'm going to support and help you get where you need to go. But I'm not going to tell you, you know, oh, you should do this. I think there's enough people telling you. So a champion enabler is basically this idea of this person that's there to guide and support, like that mentorship and coaching that I do. And, um, you know, the champion enabler, you know, the activator is this whole piece of that pilot light, how do we um, inspire and activate and get them to, and provide them, you know, the fuel to get them to go. So we've got the champion enabler, activator, igniter, is the sort of the the second part to it, which is, okay, so, you know, I'm here to support and guide you, but now let's get you going. And then, you know, building the uh, things in there that just ignite them. And uh, community do good or never changed well sorry the uh, activator igniter did change because uh, student development was really important to me is to help young people realize and discover but I changed it to activator igniter because I found student development again I still do it when I teach in university and I mentor and coach, but I found but there's a lot of young professionals mid level managers, even senior people in organizations that approach me and I just found that student development was too narrow, leadership was too broad, student development too narrow. So then I uh, became an activator, igniter, and finally the last one was the community do-gooder, which still remains solid to this date because it's all about not being a bystander in life. Uh, I've been given so much in life, but the idea is I'm not allowed to hold on to it. I have to share it, and actually, by sharing, I I see the benefits of these organizations, uh, being able to become more streamlined, more entrepreneurial, and, uh, you know, just going in and and helping wherever I can. um, That just became the community do-gooder. So that's the five expanded.
1: I love the last one. I, I, you know, I think they're all great. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of you know what what you get from having that question answered clearly you've got your five elements what has it meant to you to have a good answer to that question
0: it's fulfillment i mean the idea is that i've got about 12 projects i'm working on right now and none of it feels like work even though it is work and and they're not independent and separated from each other um they layer into each other and uh, it's not like um, a big mush of like uh, bubble and squeak which is just sort of a mishmash of everything just piled into each other it's actually carefully layered so the the storytelling and that uh, that I do the um definitely applies to my teaching which applies to a retreat that I'm building in zimbabwe right now all of this just sort of layers in um so for me it's it's one of those things that it enables me to have clarity where an opportunity emerges. I compare it to those five things and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Um, so that's where it uh, it provides me that, uh, that uh, tremendous opportunity. I mean, seven, eight years ago, I, I never even envisioned myself as a writer. But when that came forward, it just aligned to the five things and I had to do it. Same with teaching. I never saw myself as a lecturer in university, but I get so much enjoyment, and it doesn't feel like work except when I have to mark papers. Then, then it is work. Um, But that's where it doesn't feel like work when I'm standing in front of the class and and sharing. Um, It's 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 interesting, and I'd like to share this with your with your guests. Is the fact that you know oftentimes society says, "What are your goals?" You know, and I always respond back with, "Actually, I don't have goals," and people are like, "Oh my gosh." you're aimless. I said, no, no, no. I have intentions. And those are the five core elements that are my intentions. And they're like, okay, tell me, expand. I mean, and not to say if you have goals, you're wrong. I'm just providing another avenue to people who may not align with goals, but they have to, is goals to me are very absolute. I mean, at a at an early stage, we must, you know, have a pinpoint place where we start. And in, you know, one year, three years, five years, this is where I will be. Uh, But, you know, how do you know that that's the end marker? Because oftentimes we have just basically said, that's what I'm going to accomplish. Uh, So they're absolute. And if an opportunity emerges that doesn't align with the goal, do you give up the goal or the opportunity? It's very absolute. Uh, Whereas with me, if an opportunity emerges, I compare it to those five things that I'm not willing to compromise. And it and then it resonates. Uh, that's where, you know, being a writer was never a goal. Uh, teaching in university or building a retreat, th- those were never goals of mine. But it hits the five out of five. So um, I live in the world of intentions, not in goals. But again, if people have goals, I'm not saying they're wrong. It's just another way that I can actually provide some insights to people who may not, you know, would be like, okay, I've got this opportunity that emerged, but you know, my goal is to do this. It's like, okay, let's pull that back. What's important to you? Does this opportunity align and resonate with regards to something that's really important to you? Then let's explore that.
1: Thank you for that. And incidentally, I I did used to ask the question about what are your goals at the end of every episode. But what what I found was that there weren't there weren't that many um, answers that were compelling to Mm -hmm. the uh, to the question. So some people had, as you said, it it is finite. Mm -hmm. So in the sense that it might be a, I don't know, a revenue goal or a follower count or something like that. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, much better to have, as you say, Mm -hmm. intentions. For those who haven't gone through this process of thinking about who they are um and they they could name their five elements would you expect them to get some clarity on those types of mm-hmm. decisions that they have to make absolutely
0: and it, it i always say find someone that you trust that's not going to tell you what to do but are more interested in asking you you know and and that's where trained you know coaches come in where you know it's all about asking questions i mean People come to me looking for the answers to life. I mean, should I do this or should I start this business? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. There's enough people telling you what to do. I call myself the difficult monk and the difficult monk because you come to me looking for the answers to life, wanting me to tell you what to do. Instead, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But what I'm going to do is ask a bunch of questions because the answers you seek lie within you. You are the monk. You are the person that knows this, but I'm just going to ask these questions. And uh, it's interesting because it's like after the conversations we have, and people get clarity, they're like, "Oh, thank you so much, man! I have, I feel so much better. I know the direction I'd like to go." I'm like, "All I did was ask questions. You were the one who laid out the plan." Now, now let's get you going in that direction. It's always interesting to see the, uh, you know, the 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 epiphany that people get when they're like, "Ah, okay, that makes sense. That's what I got to do."
1: Very rewarding, as well, I would imagine
0: yeah yeah
1: well, you touched on something which I really wanted to ask you about, and i haven't um in the prep I hadn't got round to the story where um you went to india, so i've uh, I know that there's an interesting story there, but I don't know what it is, so would you share that
0: Oh, absolutely, I mean again, it was one of those you know I think oftentimes people struggle with um you know who they are and identity and journey so I'm a British born Canadian my parents are from Fiji my grandparents come from India and visibly I look Indian but um, you know oftentimes the question comes up what part of India are you from like well I was born in England raised in Canada and they're like no no your parents what part of India are you from are they from And I'm like well they come from Fiji and then they look at me going like Okay, are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my grandparents come from India and my ancestors. And then others who are like, well, no, no, you're not Indian. You're Canadian. Which, I mean, that's true as well. I mean, most of my life has been in Canada. I mean, you know, we play hockey and, you know, we eat hot dogs. And when we skin our knees, we bleed maple syrup and not blood. Um, That's how much Canadian, I guess, uh, we are or I am.
1: Well, you but said there's strugg- people who are happy to tell you what to do. Apparently, there's people who are happy to tell you who you are as well. So. Oh,
0: man, tell me about it. You are this. And um, I think a lot of people struggle with this idea of identity. And I decided, um, you know, I had never been to India and I had traveled to other places, but I'd never been to India. And I thought, you know, I'd like to visit this place. And um, it doesn't matter how... You know you go on this on to india but i don't think anything ever prepares you so i went there but also part of it is the fact that nobody in my family knew our ancestral home uh where my grandfather he left in 1905 my grandfather left uh, on my paternal side uh india in 1905. he was venturing to argentina wound up in fiji that's where my father was born got married my mom and then they moved to england and part of me is, again, I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. I love that space. And, you know, nobody knew where this village was. And I thought, okay, let me start exploring this ancestral roots piece. And uh, I just remember, uh, you know, my, my dad's older brother had been to the village many, many years ago. But my father had never been and my grandfather never went back. But my, my uncle passed away many years ago before we pulled that information. But what he did do was take a picture of people from our village. So that it's a faded photograph, three and a half inches faded, dingy orange or yellow. So I had a photograph and little information. We knew the name of the village. We knew the town it sat about five, six miles away and the district of hoshiarpur which is in Punjab. So I thought, OK, armed with a photograph, very little information. OK, we're off. And I went to India and explored, and it was actually uh, an eye-opening experience because it, it it's a foreigner going to a land that should not be foreign to them. Searching for a needle in a haystack, but not sure where the haystack was even located. And experiencing India for its brilliance and magnificence, but also exploring India for the poverty, the injustices that I saw um, it made me realize that I was a traveler, not a tourist. I wanted to experience India, not just see it. I wanted to experience it. And I had an epiphany while I was in uh, the state of Punjab. And it was one of those side things that emerged because of this identity piece. It wasn't the, the, the journey to find my grandfather's house was the, was the pinnacle piece that I wanted to do. But my realization in, in um Punjab. When I was heading to the Golden Temple, which is the holiest place for Sikhs, is the fact that my life was always what I call a tali, and a tali is a platter segmented by dishes. So um, my life was a tali. I'm a a platter with segmented dishes. I'm British, Canadian, Indian, Fijian. Um, well, plus I have a kabine behind me. I played in an Irish military pipe band for five uh, for eleven years. So maybe there's a bit of Irish chutney on the side as well. Um, but I woke up at 4 a.m., just uh, abruptly, and I realized I'm not a tali. I'm not a segmented dish of cultures. I'm kichiri. Kichiri is a rice dish with a blend of spices and flavors and uh, vegetables, etc. And you mash it all together, and it's a, it's a mash of it. And my cultures should be blended together as opposed to segmented. And it's a message that I think a lot of people can resonate to because they were like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm Kitcherty too. So I get, you know, British people going, I'm, I'm Kitcherty," Or, you know, I get people from Asia going, yeah, no, I'm Kitcherty too. So it, that, I think, was one of the highlights of, of the journey. And to express this in the book that I wrote uh, called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, is the fact that people who read it say, oh, my gosh, I'm Kitcherty," And I can appreciate that. The journey to find the village was much more intense and, and much more difficult than the epiphany that emerged as a result, because I was open to that. So, a day before I left for India, my step cousin had contacted me and he said, Look, I understand you're looking for the village, and the village name that you have is wrong. I made it to Garshankad, which is the town six miles away, but the name of the village is something else, which sounded like the name of it. So, Chidoti is the name of the village. He said, it's Janodi. And I thought, okay, now I didn't find a Janodi, but I found a Jandoli five miles away from Garshankar, which is the town. Jandoli, Chadodi. And I told my dad, I said, look, do you think that that might be it? He said, well, maybe we just, you know, the names either changed a bit or maybe we didn't hear it correctly. So we found Jandoli. We arrived there and people were in a courtyard and showed them the The photograph and they were like well let's get the village elder and he came and he looked at the picture and he goes you know i think there's a guy in the back he looks like so and so and you know their house is up this way so he gets in our vehicle we drive to a house and i'm with all this anticipation going oh my gosh i'm just going to be reconnecting with our ancestral roots and people came out looked at the photograph and said no this isn't the right house and i i remember My enthusiasm sank a little bit, but then it suddenly perked up again. He said, no, no, but that house is up the road this way. So again, the elder came with us. We drove to another house. People looked at the picture and they're like, no, this isn't the right house. And this happened about five or six times where you get the anticipation and deflation because it's not the right house. What I love, though, is you know, we came back to our original spot of this courtyard and, uh, you know, they were all anticipating we were gonna find this village or, or this house. And, you know, they said, it's okay. You know what, just come back tomorrow and have dinner with us and be a part of our family. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. Like, you <laughs> know, you know, just that sense and feel of welcoming because prior to India and when I was in India, people are like, well, why are you searching? I mean, you're not gonna find it. Uh, You know, it's not that important or, you know, even if you find your village, you may not get a good reception. So I I put that aside. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to listen to the noise. I went back to my hotel, phoned my father. And I said, look, uh, it just didn't work. And he said, that's okay. Enjoy India like you've done what you can. Just enjoy India. And when I hung up the phone, I th- uh, he thought that that was it. I said, no, no, I'm going to give it another go. So when my driver came back the next morning, my wife thought we were going shopping. I said, no, we're just going to get to the town of Garsankar. Let's talk to people. And again, we're talking to people in Garshankar. And, and again, why are you looking for it? It's not worth looking for. You're not going to. And if you find it, you're not going to get a good reception. But eventually one person said, oh, you're looking for Chadori. It's up the road, I think, this way, about five, six miles. And again, I'm really guarded at this point. Did I hear you right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, no, it's up the road this way, I think. So we drive up a road. We get to this uh, archway, and an old man is sitting there. And he's just staring at the ground. So we sort of say hi and everything. Um, we show him the photograph and he looks at the photograph and he goes, yeah, I think I I know the guy in the back. And I mean, if, if you look at the guy in the back, I mean, you can't even make him out really. And I'm going like, Mm. he's like 80 years old, no glasses. Come on. Like (laughs) I'm guarded. I'm really guarded at this point, but he gets into our vehicle. Well, we drive up to a house and we get there again, very, this was just commonplace. People come out of the house now, he's got the picture, this old man, and he gives it to this, the people there and this lady there. And what's interesting is, you know, if you look at this picture here, this, this woman right here. So one of the people in the house looked at the picture and said, wait, that's me in the picture. Who are you? Okay. <laughs> wait, did I hear you right? Like That's you in the picture? She goes, yeah, that's me in the picture. But who are you? So I explained who I was. And oh, my gosh, she just suddenly said, you're home. And, uh, you know, because now it was the realization that what I'm doing is standing where my grandfather left India. I'm standing where the house, where my ancestors are from. And it was that important to me to search for this, that because um, I know my father's never been to India. He won't go to India because of his age and he's got a disability. Um, I went out into the fields right where our our fields are in front of the house. I scooped up dirt and I brought it home to him. So he's got the village with him. Uh, And same with all my relatives who had never been to the village. Everybody has a little piece of that village now because of the the soil that I brought back. But that was the journey. And uh, the book, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, um, lost and found. Everything, my identity and the village was lost found both of them by seeking the past and finding myself which um people have encouraged me to say it's a beautiful story now i'm working on a screenplay which we'll see if that becomes a movie
1: well i was going to say it's an amazing story so mm. thank you very much for sharing it the uh, the interesting for me the interesting thing that i want to ask you about is mm. you put a lot of effort into finding this place. How did you feel on the way back? And how do you feel now about the effort that you put into going through that journey?
0: Yeah, it was mixed because part of me is like, did I really do this? And the euphoria of actually finding the village. Um, that's what the sense and feel was. And you know for me it was more like capturing the essence of it in a in a book now that I share with people. And the the idea is because part of it, it was, uh, and the benefit for me is the fact that, uh, you know, it's also about helping other people realize their own personal identity. I mean, yeah, I was able to trace and find exactly where my grandfather's house was on the paternal side. But um, I always tell people a couple of things. If you are ever looking at your roots, you have to start early. I mean, my parents, my uncles are all older, and it the information becomes very sparse, or you're not quite sure. Equally, what I appreciated from it when I and now when I talk to people about it is, you know, the the fact that you know you talk to people like, for example, I talked to a gentleman from Sicily. He was like, oh, you know, he lives in the States, but he was like, I'll never find my roots, you know, because we don't have any information. We don't know the, the house, the town, the, the district, none of this. And my thing was, but have you been to Sicily? And he goes, oh, no, I've been to Sicily, but no, I'd never find it. I said, but did you feel a sense of connection to this place? And he was like, well, yeah, that I did feel because knowing my ancestors there. I said, you just did the same thing I did. I just was more micro focused, but, you know, you can embrace and appreciate that piece of you that you've you've been able to realize is this connection to a place where your ancestors have come from. So it it's about sharing with people. Um, and, you know, that's why I said, I mean, to sometimes, I'm, sometimes I just sit back going like, man, did I really do that? And then put it into a book to share the journey, which uh, was a really interesting journey to write the book. Because it was reliving the entire trip and uh, the processes. And, you know, I guess there were some parts where I laughed, some parts where I cried and some parts where I was just reflective. And, uh, you know, it just it's one that I think I was given as a gift to provide, not for myself, but to help other people realize their identity and uh, to put it in a way that uh, becomes an enjoyable journey.
1: And is it something that you would encourage others to do? Let's say Mm -hmm. someone says, I'm not sure if I have any interest in doing that. Is Mm -hmm. it something that you'd recommend based on how you felt about it?
0: I think it's got to be coming from within that, uh, you know, somebody who says, you know, I'm not sure if I want to do it. You know, there's there are people who will basically say, well, that's the past. The past doesn't really matter. I'm more focused on the future. It's a, it's a very personal thing, but more and more people are interested or looking at the, their own respective personal journey, but also wanting to reflect back on where they come from. It's not for everybody. So uh, I will never uh, push or encourage someone to do it if they're not interested. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because even for my, for my wife, she actually went to her maternal grandparents or grandfather's place And she was like, yeah, no, I I mean, we went there and the journey was much easier than mine because they knew where it was. And she was like, yeah, but, you know, that didn't really matter to me as much. So I think the embers need to be burning within you that, uh, you know, I really want to do this and then, you know, see where it guides and supports you. So I think it really depends on the individual. And if they really want to do it, then please go for it and, you know, seek out people that may help you on the journey.
1: Well, big congratulations of going through it and finding it and persevering, uh, mm-hmm. and then putting it down into a book. And the the, mm-hmm. the book that you mentioned, um, would you, what would you say the biggest challenges were in in getting it all in, into that format?
0: <laughs> it's I always say for any authors, and I give myself to authors as well because I know how difficult the journey is. Is there's a there's a two parter, but people only realize the first part. It's an arduous journey to write a book. And uh people are like, when they receive it in their hands, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. That's it. The book is not going to fly off the shelf. And the second part is, the first part is pushing a boulder up a hill to write the book. The second part is promoting it and getting people interested. That's pushing the boulder up the hill and hopefully it doesn't crush you as it rolls on top. You know, but, um, yeah, but the whole piece is the fact that we all, you know, it goes back to one of my favorite signature taglines: "Is everyone's life is an autobiography?" Make yours worth reading. We all have stories; we're living stories, and uh, a need for people to learn from you and to share. And uh, that's the importance of all of this: is the fact that we are living stories, and uh, I was able to capture it and uh, put it in there. the The first book that I wrote was on personal storytelling. That one was difficult to write because it's like okay i i need to write this book but uh then it was more like okay it's on storytelling and i had to you know rethink how do i tell my stories and break it down and pull it all together lost and found was an interesting book which emerged out of my first book the story about india because it's chronological so then i went back into my diary because i kept a diary a journal while i was traveling and it, while on the one hand, it was easier because it was a flow through of, of information, it was actually more difficult than the first book because just writing the descriptors, writing what how was I feeling and uh, trying to capture that into words was actually really difficult to do. But uh, either way, it's uh, it was a journey on the first book, journey on the second book, but uh, you sit back going like, wow, I can't believe... Number one, I did the journey. And second thing is, captured it. And now, foolishly, I'm trying to make it into a, a, a production and uh, working with a screenwriter in Los Angeles. So, But the only thing I've said to him is, if this should ever become a movie, because people said, okay, who's, who's going to play you? It's like, I don't. it won't be me because I'm older now. I just want to be the jaiwala. I want to be the tea stall guy who serves the actor who plays me. So it's me serving me. <laughs> Nobody's going to know except the people who know me. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. uh, it won't be foolish if it gets made, right? So um, if yeah. that does ever happen, please let me know because I definitely want to see it. And as a, <laughs> uh, a side note for feedback, as you were telling the story, mm-hmm. I was literally um, visualizing it in my head as you were telling it. So that's probably a, um, the sign of a good storyteller, right? Well,
0: thanks, Thomas. I appreciate that.
1: um um, i i referenced uh the tedx talk previously um have you got any anything you would like to share in terms of if someone wanted to give a tedx um, or the process behind it what would you what would you share there
0: yeah i mean if if somebody is a, a speaker or you know really have a compelling story to share or insights uh, there are so many TEDxs around. I've been fortunate. Been, I've been able to do two Tedxes. Uh, the first one was on personal storytelling, discover the extraordinary and the ordinary. And the second one was on activating the voice within to be louder than the noise around. The idea is if anybody wants to do a TEDx, is explore TEDx, uh, the website, because there may be an opportunity to register as a speaker. They do open calls for TEDxs. And TEDx is a franchise of the TED conferences. So they're spread out throughout the entire world. So apply, but you have to have something that's compelling or uh, something that the audience is going to take away from it. And I remember, you know, I've, I've, helped a couple of people on their TEDxs. I, mem- I remember having a conversation with uh, a friend and uh, he was going to be speaking. And you know, I said, okay, so tell me what's, what's the essence of your talk? And he was saying it's this, this, and this, uh, or you know, just not even that, it was more of, you know, here's what, some of the things I want to share. It's more like you want to capture a really great title. And then I said, but what are the three key takeaways that someone is going to capture as a result of your talk or what's the essence of it. So for example, when I did my first one on personal storytelling and I broke it down to, how can you tell stories? I came up with carpe as in carpe diem. Carpe is how I come up with my stories because I broke it down. And that's what I gave to the audience. And what carpe stands for is curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives, and experience. Curiosity is I walk around with my mind and my eyes and my senses open. And curiosity will stop me if I see something that, you know, it's obvious, but it stops me. Appreciation is appreciating something for more than what it is. So it may be a, a stream, but okay, maybe there's something here. Reflection is where I'll sit down and then I'll start thinking deeper about it. Perspectives, we all have perspectives and we bring in our perspectives to add to the reflections. But the last one is really important, which is experience. If we don't capture our story or that as an experience, our story dies in a timely death. Like we could do curiosity, appreciation, reflection and perspectives. But the idea is the experience becomes that hook that anchors it now as something you can share in the future. Uh, So that was something I gave to the audience as a process of storytelling. Um, so you have to make it where it's easy, straightforward, and compelling to use the descriptors and to use the ideas and thoughts of something that just captures the essence of why you're up on stage.
1: Thank you for that. I do mm-hmm. think that um, your experience is going to be beneficial to other people. Mm-hmm. So appreciate it. Um, and I'm interested to know what you say about the next one, because um, you're a man who's done a lot of uh, reflection. Introspection. So, what does success mean to you?
0: Success for me is, uh, in, it, it's interesting because it's not financial. Success for me is watching an individual um, persevere, go through, and uh, they accomplish what they really set out to do. Uh, it's why I do three to eight conversations a week. Um, success for me is the ability or the opportunity to watch other people thrive. Uh, And it's always interesting because people said, oh, you know, does it ever bother you that, uh, you know, you know, they've been able to accomplish all of this, Um, you know, and I'm like, actually it's the biggest compliment where, you know, um, you get to watch people realize what they should be doing in life. And it's them, not me. Uh, but you, you're on the journey with them and you build these foundational relationships. I mean, there's the word that is often tossed around of, oh, I've got to go to a networking session. I don't like the word networking. I love the word relationship building. I, I, I build these you know foundational relationships with individuals that are lifelong. I mean, and the benefit of that is... You know, and success to me is somebody who I haven't talked to in 20 years. And it's because, you know, they got busy, I got busy maybe, and just something maybe pops up on LinkedIn and you're like, oh, or they see, oh, wait. And that happened just actually recently after 20 years, haven't talked to this individual. But you know what? It wasn't awkward. We just picked up where we left off. And, you know, I get people saying, well, I haven't talked to someone in three months. It's awkward. How do I get back in a conversation? I'm like, just, Reach out to them. Um, Success to me is watching other people thrive and other people grow. Um, It just energizes me to see that. And again, it really lines up to those five core elements that I gave right at the outset.
1: Well, yeah, um, picking up on what you said, uh, I I haven't heard one person say it's the most amount of money. So yeah, yeah, having the most amount of money in my bank account. And yet I do feel like... um, activity or people's actions sometimes um reflect that opinion but no one ever says you know success to me is just the most amount of money in my bank account so um worth highlighting i suppose is there anything that i should have asked you about Mm -hmm. today
0: you know no and uh i think uh there's just uh you know two things that i really emphasize with people and the the first one is one I've already shared is Everyone's Life is an Autobiography. Make yours worth reading. You know, really embrace who you are and the stories that you've done. Uh, oftentimes, people would be like, you know, well, well, who cares about my story? Or it's insignificant. And I'm like, no, if it's important to you, it needs to be shared. The second one is uh, a quote I live by. Obstacles are the necessary bricks on the road to success. In other words, Don't fear the obstacles, embrace them because they are there as learning opportunities and growth opportunities that get you where you need to go. So embrace the obstacles so that, uh, you know, you have to have setbacks in order to realize the importance of the journey that you're on. So those are two things that I just think are really important as uh, cornerstones for what's been very important in my life.
1: thank you for that. I think you've given an awful lot of value today, and I'm going to enjoy watching this one back. So I appreciate it. If people want to connect with you, where do they go?
0: Yeah. So I've got a, a website with, you know, I've got about 190 blog posts on it, uh, and they're all free for people to, to read of insights and things. And that's wwwsam Uh I'm also on LinkedIn. Instagram and Twitter. So people are always happy to, you know, uh, follow me at those places or drop me a note and uh, tell me heard you on your podcast and uh, would be happy to just uh, either connect with them or uh, have a conversation with them.
1: 190 blog posts. You've been a bit busy then, basically.
0: And the last one was was a significant one because I just turned 60. And I kept calling myself, oh, I get seniors discount. People said, no, no, you're an elder. You're not senior. And uh, I did a blog post, which were 60 reflections on turning 60. And they're all little mini hits. And uh, I think that's one that uh, a number of people have said, oh, my gosh, I got so much value out of that blog post. So now I've never done TikTok. Somebody said we should maybe make all 60 of those into small TikTok videos.
1: Okay, maybe (laughs) that's the
0: next thing I, I tackle now.
1: My opinion is that TikTok needs more information like that, so you might be doing the world a service. <laughs> but um, Sam, thank you very much for being a great guest today.
0: Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for the opportunity to share, and uh, uh, you know, I think uh, you're providing a great service to your audience as well because of all the minds that are coming together to, uh, you know, share their insights. So thank you for that.